Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, July 27th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, we're going to lead this show off here with a few programming notes. First, at the end of this episode, I'm going to be talking to Laura Enstall, who is a, a the wife of a somewhat friend of mine who lives in St. Louis. She is a an Actors' Equity member who is now an audition coach who lives in St. Louis. She saw... Um, the Muni's production of The Unsinkable Molly Brown, so she's going to give us a review of that. So stay tuned for that at the end of the show. Tomorrow's show may or may not be delayed to our 8, 8 o'clock launch, depending on whether or not my AMC that I go to uh, decides to bungle Angels in America Part 2. So maybe it'll be at 6 o'clock like normal. Maybe it'll be 8 o'clock if I actually get to see it. So watch this space as... The great Rachel Maddow says. And then finally, James, I've got a new episode of Tell Me More coming out on Saturday. And yesterday afternoon, I got to spend 30 glorious minutes talking to the phenomenal Tony nominee, Stephanie J. Block, about the Covenant House's Broadway Sleepout, which is coming out, coming around at the end of August. So we talked about that. Also talked a little bit about falsettos. It was just wonderful. She's just such an incredible person, and I think everyone's going to really, really enjoy this interview when it comes out on Saturday. The Covenant House Sleepout uh, I know about from Neil Berg and Rita Harvey. Do you know Neil and Rita? I, I don't. I'm not familiar. Uh, so Neil Berg is a composer. Uh, he's written a handful of shows, uh, and his wife is Rita Harvey, and she was uh, Christine and Phantom on Broadway and on tour, and they, they are big uh, supporters of the Sleepout uh, at Covenant yeah. Hap, they've been doing it for many, many years, uh, and uh, it's a great cause. It's a, it really is. Yeah, and, and Stephanie with, is. Especially uh, with today's news. Yeah, absolutely. Stephanie is very, very passionate about it. She's one of the people who actually started the Sleep Out, and she's very involved with things at the Covenant House. So I think you'll be very moved by some of the things she has to say. Why don't you use the uh, Tell Me More music from Greece for your show? I, you know, when you're talking about homeless youth in New York. I don't know that Frenchie and Rizzo would be the most uh, appropriate underscoring. Well, you know, slow it down, play it in a minor key. All <laughs> right. So first up in the news, holy shit. <laughs> I'm just quoting I, you. I, I'm just quoting I, you. <laughs> you left out a word. You, you left out an F word in there when I, when I texted you. Oh, yeah, that's James, true. I, <laughs> that is true. I, Mandy Patankin to join Great Comet. Oh, my goodness. James, give me a second. I'm hyperventilating over here. Um, Okay, I'm a little better now. James, as you know, Mandy Patankin is quite possibly my favorite Broadway actor of all time. So this news got me really excited and then a little disappointed when I realized it's only for three weeks and I'm not going to be there uh, during those three weeks. However, um, I was still really pumped about this. But as you start peeling back some of the layers of the stories, it does reveal itself to be increasingly worrisome, which we'll get to. Before we get to it, though, let's talk about the particulars. The Tony and Emmy winner Mandy Patinkin will replace Okarite Anadawan in the title role of Pierre beginning on August 15th. We'll come back to that date in a second. And will play the role for just three weeks through September 3rd, the Sunday before Labor Day. 
Mandy was last on Broadway more than five years ago in An Evening with Patti LuPone and Mandy Patinkin and is preparing to begin shooting season seven of his Emmy-winning Showtime CIA drama, Homeland. Okay, James, before we get to the Oak side of this, which is probably the more juicy, gossipy side of it, as someone who has seen great comment in multiple venues across the lifespan of this show, what do you think of Patinkin, one of the greatest actors to ever grace the stage, as Pierre? I think it's inspired. I think it's brilliant. I was like, I I had a big blind spot to that, but I'm like, as soon as you had texted me, I said, oh, of course, of and I'm gesturing with my hands. Can you see that? <laughs> of course, this makes total sense. Yeah, I mean, he's a little older probably than what the, the role. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, this show obviously is very open to differences in race in terms of the casting. So obviously age might not be as different. It might play a little weird with the romance stuff towards the end of the show. But uh, Mandy's great. So we love Mandy. Yay, Mandy coming back. But now we have to get to the weirder side of this story. And that's the stuff that has to do with the Nottawan. James, from the moment this was announced, I told you that something just felt really weird about it to me. I don't know if we'll ever know the true full story, unless Michael Riedel wants to quit writing fluff pieces about jukebox musicals and workshops and get down to the gossip mongering that, that he made his name on. But let's kind of go through what we do know. First, Oak was originally supposed to play the role of Pierre through September 4th, Labor Day, so Mandy's newly announced run will effectively cut Oak's original two-month run down to just four weeks after Oak's initial start date was pushed back by seven days. In the release about the casting change, producer Howard Kagan said, quote, Oak, who was scheduled to appear as Pierre for this period, graciously agreed to make room for Mandy, and we sincerely hope that Oak will return to us in the fall or winter. He is a terrific Pierre. Now, James. I generally like to take people at their word unless there is evidence to the contrary, but I'm calling bullshit on this one. <laughs> I mean, Kagan, first of all, you'll remember, is the producer that had the whole dust up with Ars Nova last year about refu refusing to give them the credit that they were contractually entitled to get in the Great Comet Playbill. And then he threatened to schedule the show's cast recording session for the day of the nonprofit's gala, which the cast was already scheduled to attend. So forgive me if I'm not buying what he's selling except for tickets. When I'm in town, I'm going to buy tickets, so don't worry about that. <laughs> anyway, I also don't think that we can discount the fact that Oak was announced for the role of Pierre two months before Groban left, but still had to push back his start date by a week. While this has not been officially confirmed, it's widely believed that this was due to the fact that the new Pierre was not prepared to play the accordion in the show. Again, I don't know this to be fact, but it is literally the only explanation that anyone has given. Now, Follow me here. I'm just spitballing, James. If I'm off base, tell me. But if you take these two things together, I could imagine a situation where Kagan felt disrespected that Oak had to push his opening back and then decided to take retaliatory action to embarrass and humiliate an Ottawan. I guess if it's good for the attorney general, it's good for a Broadway actor as well. Whether or not this is what happened, James, I think it is terrible form for Kagan. I adore Mandy Patinkin, and I will not stand for anyone besmirching his good name, Criminal Minds fans included. But short of Oak doing something monumentally untoward, which I can't imagine being the case, 
there is no reason to have done this, especially for a three-week three run with Mandy. If it's three months, okay, maybe I get it, but not three weeks. I mean, how much more is Mandy going to help them make at the box office? They're only about 200K below their weekly average, so they pick up maybe an extra 600,000, maybe 800,000. Come on, that's that seems a lot of commotion and a lot of ill will for not a, a lot of cash in the long run. First, my, my first take on this was that uh, Oak is um, a tremendously talented person. And I don't know, maybe they're looking at box office numbers that are coming in low and they're, they're getting nervous about it. So they wanted to inject some excitement here and, uh, and get, you know, Mandy on board, which I mm -hmm. think would sell tickets. Uh, sure. Certainly sure. not as much as Josh Groban, but certainly Mandy Patankin is a draw. Um, and get some buzz going about Great Comet again. And then we have to see what their announcement is post-Mandy. And also we have to see in the next couple of days if uh, Oak has signed some sort of television or movie deal or something like that. Uh, mm. I, 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 I don't know, but certainly... Certainly, there, there there seems to be a lot of missing information in this story, <laughs> and maybe they feel like it's nobody's business, and maybe they feel like they, sure. they're, they're putting something over on somebody, but I don't know. But it's certainly – there's a vacuum right now. There's really nothing going on <laughs> so, insofar as news on Broadway. Certainly, there's a ton of stuff going on. Um and uh, nature, nature abhors a vacuum. So you're saying that I'm getting worked up over this mainly because there's not enough other Broadway casting news to fill my otherwise idled, you know, vacant mind. Is that what you're saying? If this had come out on the same day as My Fair Lady casting news, I don't think you would have looked twice at this, except for it was Mandy Patankin who you adore. Uh, and we all adore. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, maybe. I said, maybe to my wife, I, think... I, was, I said to my wife, I'm like, three weeks, we have to figure out how to go here and I'm buying tickets. Because I, you know, Mandy Patankin's on stage, you, you must go. And I yeah. had mentioned to you that, you know, if they really wanted to pull some sort of Weisler casting uh, out of their butts here, they would figure out some way to get Patty into the show just for three yes. weeks while Mandy's in the show. And, uh, and, and then there would be like the crossing of the streams equivalent of uh, <laughs> I told you, I, Yeah, I told you I thought she'd make a great Balaga. So maybe. Who knows? <laughs> that makes me hungry. I think Balaga is like a little nice cookie. Okay. <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, shall we move into the show and casting news? Sure. Let's do it. Okay, James. On yesterday's show, you, disco you discussed that Tony winner Blair Brown would be joining Uma Thurman and Josh Lucas and the Parisian Woman on Broadway beginning in November. Well, later in the day yesterday, we learned that before those rehearsals start, Brown will lead the New York premiere of Simon Stevens' Olivier Award-winning play On the Shore of the Wide World at the Atlantic Theater Company. She will be joined by Leroy McClan, Tedra Milan, Ben Rosenfield, and more. The play will begin previews on Wednesday, August 23rd with an official opening on September 12th and will run through Sunday, October 8th. We will obviously have more about this play as it gets closer. We also learned yesterday that Ebony Flowers, Hampton Fluker, Brandon Gill, and Nika Okafor will appear in Roundabout Underground's world premiere of Jirai Brianna Holder's play, Too Heavy for Your Pocket. Performances begin off-Broadway on Friday, September 15th, with an official opening on October 5th, and the limited engagement will run through November 19th. As always, all tickets for Roundabout Underground productions are just $25. 
And then a day after learning that Los Angeles's center theater group would bring Carmen Cusack back to her Tony nominated role in Bright Star, the company announced that next spring it would partner with East West Players for the upcoming world premiere of Soft Power, the new musical from Tony winners David Henry Wong and Janine Tesori. The show, which is billed as a play with a musical, not a play with music, but a play with a musical, will play L.A.'s Amundsen Theater from, Mar- from May 3rd through June 10th of 2018. The press notes say Soft Power begins as a contemporary play before jumping 100 years into the future and exploding into a Chinese musical about present-day America. I have no idea what any of that means, but it sounds cool. It'll feature a book and lyrics by Huang and music by Tesori. And finally in this section, James... The off-Broadway play The Crusade of Connor Stevens announced yesterday that a week from today, August 3rd, they would be live streaming their show. Now, James, I'm giving you a trigger warning here because they are doing this Daddy Long leg style. Uh, settle, settle, I warned you. And they're going to air it on their own without the help of a company like Broadway HD. Advanced registration is on sale now at www.crusade2017.com slash livestream for just $1.99 through August 2nd, and then $3.99 for the day of purchase and then subsequent viewings. James Peter Felicia reviewed this show on This Week on Broadway a week or so ago, and I thought he didn't expect a whole lot from it, but was pleasantly surprised about how good it was. Yeah, I, you know, I'm i always very nervous about people that think that they could do a live stream, uh, you know, without anybody else. But maybe they've hired in a big company in the background and, like, you know, some guys uh, from ESPN are just bored and are doing this one for them. Could we'll be. Have to, we'll have to see. Uh, yeah, and see, how it, see how it is. All right. Uh, so let's get into Laura Enstall's review of the unsinkable Molly Brown at the Muni. All right. I am joined now by Laura Enstall, an audition coach in St. Louis, who happened to see the Muni's production of the unsinkable Molly Brown on Tuesday night. Laura, thank you so much for talking to me about the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. So this is one of the you know, outside of probably Frozen, probably the most highly anticipated summer shows outside of New York. Huge cast, lots of uh, buzz potentially about a Broadway production. So for you, did it live up to the hype? Yes, I was really excited to see the show. And to be honest, being from St. Louis, I don't really go to the Muni all that often. I probably shouldn't say that being from St. Louis, but <laughs> um I was super excited about this production because Beth Malone was in it, Mark Kudish. You know, they just, they did lots to bring people in for this production. It's the 99th season of the Muni, and they haven't done Unsinkable Molly Brown in 25 years. And the last time they did it, Debbie Reynolds was in it. So this is a huge production. So you mentioned Beth Malone in the title role of Molly Brown. I know Mm -hmm. that you had a little bit of, of a kind of a personal connection with her. So you were especially excited to see her in this show, right? Yes. Um, so I went to UNC in Northern Colorado and she's also a graduate of UNC. So I was, I got to meet her afterwards and I'm sure she doesn't remember me from, you know, doing a workshop at my school years ago, but it was just really cool that she took the time to meet her fans afterwards. And of course, I mean, the show was incredible. And I mean, she did a cartwheel at the end of act one and it was just such high energy in this heat. Yeah, it was, it was neat. So we're going to preface this with saying that you have a connection Mm -hmm. with her. You have a special fondness for her. But one of the things that interests me so much about this show is that 
Molly Brown is so different from how most people know Beth Malone as Alison Bechtel from Fun Home. How did she fit into this character that, despite her kind of small physical stature, is larger than life? Yes, that was something. And my friend and who went with me, he and I were talking about that. It was it was night and day because, yes, Alison Bechtel was such a different character for her compared to Molly Brown. But Beth's voice is, oh, my gosh, her her belt is gorgeous. She's got this bell tone voice. And you don't get to hear that as much in Fun Home. But it was it was beautiful. And she filled the stage. I mean, yes, she's a petite woman, but she filled the stage. And this character was just it is larger than life. But she was she was fantastic in the role, um, and to kind of see her morph into this character was was really fun. I I enjoyed her in the role. Was there anyone in particular throughout the rest of the cast, whether it was Mark Kudish or Whitney Basher or Justin Guarini or somebody else in the featured or principal or even ensemble casts that really stood out to you as being something special? You know, I really enjoyed I enjoyed Mark Kudish a lot, and I loved the relationship that. Beth Malone and Mark Kudish created on stage. They had some really poignant scenes and they had, they had just had a great connection. And that, that was just a really neat to see that relationship. I really enjoyed Whitney Basher and um, Justin Gorini. He was, he was great too. I mean, the, uh, the supporting characters were fantastic. You know, Muni pulls out all the stops they bring in. They bring in such high quality talent, the ensemble, they did great as well. Um, but yeah, I really, I thought that um, we, they had a great supporting cast as well. But I did enjoy the relationship that Mark and Beth created. Very cool. Well, from your experience, you were an, you've you been an actor, you've been a teacher, you're now an audition coach. In your expert opinion, as someone who's seen <laughs> this show in St. Louis, do you think it's something that could play in New York, whether it's at you know a limited run at a not-for-profit theater or maybe even a commercial run? What do you think? Yeah, I think it could for sure. Um, it definitely has that Meredith Wilson feel to the show. I mean, it almost sounded like 76 trombones was going to start playing at any time. <laughs> and then it did have the um, thoroughly modern Millie feel to it as well, because you have Dick Scanlon, who was did the book, who wrote yeah. the additional book and lyrics. Um, I think that it did. Ha- it does have a little bit of room for development, because if you remember uh, in one of Beth's interviews, she said that there are only three original lines still from the production. So they've wow. really adapted this production. I do think that maybe the ending could be changed a little bit because it, it is a very traditional mm-hmm. musical theater piece. And at the end, it's it doesn't have a finale, like a big finale number like you're expecting. It just kind of ends. So I think your audience goes mm-hmm. in expecting a traditional musical theater piece and then it doesn't end on that note. It just kind of ends a little bit softer <laughs> yeah so that that was a little bit surprising for me but um otherwise i did like it and i would like to see this carry on into a different venue because there were several members of this cast who did do this at the denver center in 2015 mm-hmm. so it seems like that they have a following and they are connected to the show yeah well there are still as we talk about here on today on broadway a lot there are still spots to be filled so if if molly brown wants to claim one of those theaters at any point we'll take it we want some sort of news so if it's as good as you say it is i don't think anyone is going to be upset about molly brown coming to new york Uh, laura before i let you go real quick um since you 
did us the service of of talking about Molly <laughs> Brown. Why don't you tell people where they can find you both personally, maybe on social media, and then find your audition coaching uh, expertise online as well. Great. So you can find me. My business is called Audition Well. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Audition Well, or on my website, auditionwell.com. And I work with students of the high school age, preparing them for the college audition world, which is a whole lot of fun. Oh, oh. oh you're a saint. Well, thank you so much. And next time there's something big that comes through the Muni, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to get back in touch and talk about it then. That would be great. Thank you so much. Well, wasn't that special? <laughs> it was great, James. You haven't heard it yet. It was great. <laughs> it was great. Thank you, Laura. What a wonderful name for uh, joining us on Broadway Radio and giving us a review of the Insinkable Molly Brown at the Muni. And uh, so, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at Matt, and subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. I know you're all very happy that Matt's back. we will both see you on Friday morning all right Uh, and remember the nominations begin at 8.30 not 8 o'clock all right (laughs) wrong live stream James (laughs) live stream (laughs) I was waiting for you to get that (laughs) 